Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to make my way to this again here. If you would, take your Bible and uh, open with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to try using this little table here this evening. It's my first time to use it. Normally, I, I have the pulpit, and I can kind of spread out my notes and all that kind of stuff, and we got everything kind of crammed on this little table here, and, and so uh, hopefully it won't be really weird and won't drop anything, and I can, you know, anyway. First uh, Peter chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. Uh, it was probably a week, maybe a week and a half ago, two weeks, something like that, in my own personal study time. Uh, I'm reading through the Bible this year, and I'm in, uh, I've moved on from it now, but was in First Peter, and this chapter just really impacted me. I love this chapter. There's lots of application in this chapter. That's kind of what we'll be getting at uh, this evening. But God just used it to really speak to me and impact me in that moment. And so I took a bunch of notes and kind of had a sense that when I would be sharing, this is probably what I would be going back to. And sure enough, this is kind of where the Lord led me. And uh, so it impacted me. I pray that it would impact you guys as well. And so... um, Let's pray for that. One more time, let's just go before the Lord in prayer and ask Him to do that very thing. Well, Father, now as we open Your Word, I'm asking, Lord, that You would cause Your Word just to be effective into our lives, that it would impact our lives. Lord, I think about this epistle uh, that we call 1 Peter, this letter, that he wrote to Christians who were struggling and, and dealing with persecution and so many things, Lord, and how You met them through this letter through this epistle. Lord, I pray that you would meet us tonight as well. Just asking, Lord, that your word would go down deep into our hearts, or that you would cause it, Lord, just to to bring to light those things that we need to attend to. And Lord, that we would be edified and strengthened this evening by your word. So Lord, meet us. Meet us in your word, Lord. Cause it to abide in our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm going to go ahead and uh, read through this opening section here, and uh, then we will come back and talk about it. So I'm going to read through the first, uh, first six verses. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, They think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men, uh, according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So this opening section, it really is going to deal with our past 
and really with a thought that we cannot allow our past to influence our present or, or control our present. I, I think you guys all know what, what I'm talking about because we all have one, right? We all have a past. We've all uh, had that time before knowing Jesus Christ. Maybe you came to Christ at a young age, uh, and, and it might be a, a far distant memory. For some of you, maybe it was just last week. You know, I don't know. But we all have that time, that, that time in our past when we didn't know the Lord and when, when we didn't walk according to His Word and His ways. It's very easy that we could be shackled to this, right? It's really easy that all of those things that we used to do, all of those things that at one point defined us, that those things could be a very present reality in our lives. And that's kind of what we want to look at this evening. Dealing with our past, specifically not allowing the past to control us or negatively influence our present, right? That's kind of what we want to look at here. So notice with me there uh, the first part of this. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The first thing I'd like us to see is that we have an example, right? We have an example in Jesus Christ. He suffered in the flesh, right? And just as He did that, just as He overcame sin and He suffered for the glory of God, we are to arm ourselves also with the same mind. Now, take a a quick look at that, that sentence there. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. Arm yourselves also with the same mind. The idea here is to arm yourself like a warrior. Now that might sound kind of funny because what we're talking about here is not weapons of warfare. That's not where we're going with this. We're not talking about guns. We're not talking about ammunition or any of that kind of thing. But we're still in a battle, right? We're in a battle and that battle is being waged in our minds. And so what he's telling us here is make sure that you have the same mind, that you're going to arm yourself with the same type of thinking, the same mind that Jesus Christ had when he went to the cross. That's the weapon that is going to be effective for us in fighting the spiritual battle and in overcoming all of the temptations and all of the trials and all the things that are constantly bombarding us in our day and age right? We're to have this same mind. Notice what it says there. It says, for he, latter part of verse 1, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There's something about persecution. There is something about suffering for the Lord, about identifying with Jesus in his suffering. There's something about that that enables us to live a godly life, and enables us to put aside sin. There's a, there's an, a, a spiritual power. There's an enabling that, that we have when we walk according to Christ's example, and we share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Something powerful happens. Sin begins to have a much looser grip on our lives. We're going to talk about persecution much more at the end of this chapter. It's not exactly our our favorite topic to think about, I suppose, but it is powerful. 
I think of this verse in, uh, in Psalms 119. The psalmist writing there says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. There's something about affliction, right? There's something about suffering. There's something about persecution. That when we encounter this, when we go through this, again, there is, uh, it, it, it somehow moves us to a place of putting aside sinful things. We get more serious about our walk with the Lord, and we cease from sin. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. This is God's plan for our lives. This is what God wants to work in you and in me, that we would not be ensnared by all of the things that are so prevalent in our world, the lusts of the flesh, all of those things in our world that are constantly bombarding us, right? I think about how it describes this in in the book of Hebrews, that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, he pictures it as if we're running a race, right? We're in this marathon, and it doesn't make any sense to run a marathon when you're weighed down with besetting sins, when you have all of this stuff on your back, all of these things from your past that is holding you down, weighing you down, keeping you from running the race, And so we're to cease from sin. We're to put aside those things that we would not live the rest of our time, the rest of our days, in the flesh for the lusts of man, but that we would live for the will of God. Now look at verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past, enough of our past lifetime, in doing the will of the Gentiles. And of course, that's speaking about the sinful Gentiles or people in the world that, that don't know the Lord. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Can you relate with that? I don't know your story. We all have a different testimony, I suppose. In some ways we do, in some ways we don't. Because what the Bible tells us is is that we were all at one point dead in trespasses and sins. In that sense, we all have the same testimony, right? There was a time when we were dead in trespasses and sins, a time before we knew the Lord, before we came into that that understanding of who He is and, and surrendered our lives to Him. Now, the list that He gives us here, for some of you, that might be something that, you know, I really, a lot of those things, you know, I've never been drunk in my life, you know, you might say. Nonetheless, there was a time in your life when you were gripped by sin. You were a slave to sin, the Bible says. That describes all of us. For some of you here, this list might take on just a whole sense of reality. You might be saying, yeah, these are the very things I'm struggling with even now. These things were very present in my life, and they still hinder me to this day. I'm still trying to break free from some of these things. And that's what he's telling us here. He's telling us that we've spent enough of our past doing these things, walking in these things, and now it's time to move on from that. It's time to to unshackle ourselves from our past. It's time to move beyond that. And I just want to say that is what the picture of baptism 
partly gives us is that we, we've buried our past. That our past life before Christ, that was buried. That's been put aside. That's no longer the people that we are, if indeed you have been born again and made new. They ought not to control us anymore. Now, again, I, I mentioned it a moment ago, but here's the deal. All of these things are given to us here in the past tense, as in these things happened before we came to know Jesus. But let's be honest, as believers, sometimes we still struggle with these things. And it could be that you're here uh, this evening or you're watching online, and again, some of these things are very prevalent in your life, various addictions, various lusts, abominable idolatries, that can take the, the form of many different struggles, many different things. And yet what I want us to see, and what I hope that you can reckon in your own life, is that we're dead to sin. I think about Romans chapter 6. It tells us that if we're in Christ, that we're dead to these things. No longer are they to be alive in our lives. Again, I mentioned just the picture of baptism, that these things have been buried, and we've been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And so for the believer, we now have the ability through the power of God, through His grace, to rise above these challenges, rise above these temptations, and live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Look with me at verse 4. He says, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. How many of you know what this is like? Your old friends, they just don't get you anymore. Maybe it's a family member. In fact, maybe it happened just this Thanksgiving around the dinner table, getting together with family and they don't really like the person that you've become. They really prefer the old you who was a lot more fun, right? A lot more entertaining to be around when you participated in all of this stuff and, and you lived this kind of lifestyle. And so we have these connections to our past. Maybe they are in the form of coworkers or, again, family members or old friends, and they just don't get you. They just don't understand this change or this transformation, and they think it really strange. They think it's really odd that you would rather worship Jesus than get drunk. Maybe you're dealing with some of that even right now, just these old connections to your past life that are still just holding you back. Those are difficult things to navigate through, especially when it's family especially when they're, they're people that you're going to be connected to for a long time. It's really hard to, to completely cut yourself off and, and to separate yourself from those things. It's very difficult. But notice here what he says in verse 5. He says, They will. They will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. One of the greatest motivators that we have to live for the Lord is the understanding that we're going to stand before Him. 
I don't know how, how you think about that. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about standing before the Lord and giving an account. For some, it's absolutely terrifying. For those that don't know the Lord, either they've deceived themselves and they, they've, they've convinced them that there's not really going to be a judgment at all, that they're not really going to have to answer to the Lord at all, or that He's going to somehow grade on a curve and, and that they're going to be just fine. Or perhaps they have that right understanding that it's going to be a terrifying thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. For the believer, we still will give an account, right? We're still going to stand before what's known as the Bema Seat of Christ. We're still going to be judged according to our, our works, the things that we've done. Uh, we won't be judged for our sins, Praise God for that. Those things have been dealt with. Jesus Christ bore the punishment for our sins on the cross. But nonetheless, we will give an account. The Bible says for every idle word, and I don't know about you, but I've spoken a bunch of those. I've said a lot of things. A lot of things have escaped my lips that I wish I could take back, right? We will give an account, and, and just understand this. Those that hold you back, those that are, are speaking into your life, those that are speaking evil of you, making fun of you, mocking you, they will give an account. And that's a fearful thing. It really is. Before we move on to the next section, notice with me verse 6. Actually, let me read 5 and 6 together because they're connected. He says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. God is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Now, what did he just say? <laughs> That's a verse that there has been much debate about, much discussion, much disagreement about, and we don't have time to really dive into it. There are a couple different thoughts. There are some who take this that Jesus actually preached the gospel to the dead, that when He descended uh, after the cross, when He descended, that He uh, entered into what is known as Abraham's bosom, that he preached the gospel to those, to all of those, the, both believers, as well as to those who were not believers. Now, understand this. If that's what this is referring to, if that's what this is saying, it doesn't say that there's two, uh, another chance here. There's no second chances, right? The Bible says that, that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So it's not in any way saying that those who have died will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to that. Make sure you understand that. What it probably is referring to when it says uh, to the dead it, that the gospel was preached to them while they were yet alive, that they believed while they were yet alive, and that though they died, because we're all going to die, that's part of the curse of sin that we're still alive to God if we've been born again. That's probably more what this verse is, uh, is teaching. Again, much disagreement about it, but let's move beyond that and let's understand what's the main point. The main point 
is that because God is ready to judge, we need the gospel. The gospel is our only hope in this. The Word of God, the good news of salvation, that's our hope. God is is ready to judge the living and the dead, but because we have the good news of Jesus Christ, we can escape that judgment. We can escape that judgment and not be judged according to our sins, and that's got to be the main point that we take from that. So if I can, let me just kind of sum up this opening section here and just say, if we're going to live a victorious life, if we're going to live a victorious life in Christ, we cannot allow our past to control us. That's got to be the key thing that we take from this. Well, let's move on to the next section, and we're going to look at what it is to serve for God's glory. Notice with me verse 7. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We talked about our past. Now let's talk about serving God in our present. Look with me again at verse 7. And let's look at just that opening phrase. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. I just want to draw your attention to that and and cause us to see that because sometimes we get in this mindset that things are just going to go on and on and on and on and there's never going to be a culmination. There's never going to be an end. It kind of makes me think of the, the guys, the street preachers, New York City, wearing the sandwich signs. You guys, you guys with me there? You know what I'm talking about? Where they're wearing the sandwich sign and they've got their bullhorn and it says, the end is near. You guys, anybody with me? No? You guys could kind of picture that. That's what he's wanting us to know. The end is near. There is going to be an end. It's not going to just continue on and on and on. Things will eventually come to an end. So how do we respond to that? If things are winding down, and if if Peter is telling us here that we're in the last days, if that's where we are, how do we respond? Well, he tells us there, in the latter part of that, that verse, therefore be serious, be serious and watchful in your prayers. The first thing he says is that we've got to be serious. We've got to begin to take this seriously. When I was younger, someone gave me the nickname Flippant Phil. Because that's who I, that's who I was. I mean, I was, I was careless I was carefree. I was not a very serious person. 
I was always joking around. I was always making light of things. And so I got the reputation and the nickname of Flippant Phil. But then God, God got a hold of my life. And I began to realize that there are some things here that I, I, I just I need to grow up, right? I need to grow up. I need to begin to take some things serious. And for us living in the last days as believers, in light of all that is going on in our world, all that's happening in our country, we need to be those that take it seriously. He adds to that that we're not just serious about our faith, but that we're serious in prayer. Serious in prayer. I don't know about you, but that is one of those application things that is always going to be just something that I'm underlining in my life because it's just a constant struggle. Can any of you relate? I mean, can any of you say, yes, I I struggle to pray. I know I should. It's not a question of, of whether I should or not, but I struggle to actually do it. When it comes time to actually sit down and and spend time with the Lord, everything else, everything else comes to mind. Well, I could do this, or my phone is blowing up, or or there's Facebook, or there's this this or that, or whatever, and, and we are not serious enough in prayer. I don't say that to anybody's shame. I don't say that to, um, I'm just speaking generally as the people of God. This is an area that we need to grow in. That we're watchful and we're serious in our prayers. He goes on from that and he says, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I like the priority that he puts here. He says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. And I want you to notice something here, just a little technical note. He doesn't just say, I want you to love everybody. He's not going to let us off the hook that easily, is he? He says, have fervent love. He adds that word there. That the love that we're going to have for each other, the love that we're going to have for the body of Christ in in these last days, for one another, that it's not to be just this kind of warm, fuzzy thing, but it's meant to be fervent. A lot we could say about that, but let's think about this and, and seek to apply it. He goes on to say that it covers a multitude of sins. That the love that we're to have for one another covers a multitude of sins. What does he mean by this? He's not talking about just gross transgression here. He's not talking about just the person who is bent on living in disobedience, right? We know what we're supposed to do with that. That has to be confronted. That has to be dealt with. But what he is saying is that there there are these these other things, this multitude of sins. I'm going to call them Uh, little offenses, perhaps. Disagreements. Differences. Differences of opinion. We're all flawed. We're all flawed. Let's just be honest here for a moment and just admit something. That we can be a quirky bunch. Right? We can be a quirky bunch. We have weird 
habits. We have weird personalities sometimes. And, and, and sometimes we can really get on each other's nerves. There, I just said it. I might be driving you crazy right now, grating on you. Seriously, we can do this. We, we can so easily wear on one another. Just our, our weird personalities, little offenses. And, and that's another thing I want to talk about, just briefly. We are offended about everything today. I mean, we are so offended. It's like, my goodness. We get our feelings hurt over everything it would seem. And what Peter is telling us and what the Lord is telling us is that in the midst of this climate, we are to have fervent love for one another that covers all of that stuff. It's difficult. It's difficult. How do we do it? How do we do this? How do we have this kind of love that can cover those things where we don't drive each other crazy? Think about what it tells us here in Romans 5. It says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit abiding in your life. That's how we overcome. By surrendering to the Spirit of God and allowing God to pour His love into us, we can then pour it out on those around us. It's something that we have to be intentional about, though. It's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by purposing in your heart and, and asking for it. Lord, would you give me the love that I need for these people? Would you help me to love these people with the same kind of fervent love that you have for them? When we do that, when we're focused on that, when the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, when, when the fruit of the Spirit is ruling and reigning in our lives, we can live this out. We can walk this out. When the power of God is present in our lives and, and His love is present in our lives, we can overlook a whole lot of things. He goes on in the text. It says in verse 9, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Hospitable to one another without grumbling. Can we do this? Can we put this into practice? I mean, can this be a, a an identifier in our lives, something that is, defines us and is clear about us as the people of God? Isn't that what Jesus said? That people will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another? Can we put this into practice in our day and age? This whole COVID season has tested this to the core. I have never seen a time where people are more short with one another, more angry with one another, more offended with one another than what I see during this time. And I'm not talking about just unbelievers and believers. I'm not talking about just how the world might look at us or how we might look at the world, but believers, people in our church 
at odds with one another because of the season that we're in. And I just want to challenge us. Let's allow the love of God to flow into our lives and out of our lives that it would cover a multitude of sins. Can we put this into practice? Not just read it here, but can we actually apply this and do it? I would hope so. I would hope that we would be empowered to do that very thing. He goes on from there, and he says in verse 10, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we're talking about our present tense right now. We're talking about our, our present where we are serving for God's glory. And he tells us that each one has received a gift. And I just hope that you know that. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. He says, be a good steward of that gift. Use it. Put it into practice. He says, if anyone speaks, verse 11, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You have a gift. It might be a speaking gift. Some of you here, you might be teachers. You might be leading a Bible study. You might be uh, leading a Sunday school class or something like that. You're going to speak. Allow God just to fill you with, with His Word that you would speak the, as, a, as the oracles of God. But it might be a serving gift. God is calling you to serve, and I don't know what that might look, look like in your life. It's one of those two things, speaking or serving, Really, they're, they're very related, but it, whichever it is, the, the idea is that God wants to do it through you. So serve Him with the ability which God supplies. And again, the whole point of this, the whole purpose of it is found there in the latter part of verse 11. In all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, we move on to this last section now. And this really has the idea that we're suffering for God's glory. The audience that Peter was writing to, the, the believers there were suffering persecution under Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero. He was writing to, to a people that, that were suffering and they were struggling and so he's writing them this to encourage them. Let's just read through this last section. Verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of uh, of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, 
what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Suffering. I don't know about you, but it's not my favorite topic. Persecution, all of these things, not something that I really enjoy thinking about. It's one of those things that I I hope somehow that I can escape, that somehow it's not going to come to my house, that somehow it's not going to fall on me, that sure, believers all around the world, they're suffering, but somehow I'm going to avoid it. I mean, that's just honest. There's a part of me that wishes that, that that might be my lot in life. Not so. Not so. And I like how he says here in in verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. So often as Americans, when we go through persecution, when we do uh, encounter that, it takes us aback. It's like, what's that? Why is this happening to me? As if it is some kind of strange thing. But I want to draw your attention here to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's one of those things that is given to us as a promise. Not one of those promises we like to claim, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, it is given to us as a promise. And he says, don't think it's strange. Instead, how do we, how do we respond to it? Well, we respond by rejoicing. I realize that that is a stretch for some of us, all of us probably, but that's what he's calling us to do. He's calling us to see it through the lens of God, that when we suffer for him, when we are connected to Jesus Christ, when we share in the fellowship of his sufferings, that that's actually a privileged place. He says rejoice. He says that you're blessed in that. Now, here's what I want us to to try to do. Let's try to apply this. Your persecution, it it might just be somebody saying mean things to you on Facebook. I don't don't know what it's going to look like. But when those things come, instead of getting angry, instead of blowing up, instead of getting back on and typing your response and letting them know how you really feel, maybe instead just count it as all joy. And just say, you know what? I, I have the opportunity right now to share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I can, I can retaliate or I can just rejoice. And I just want to encourage you, understand that you're blessed. In verse 15, he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer. Kind of a funny story from way back when my father-in-law, before he was my father-in-law, he was my pastor at the time, he had a jail ministry. And he ministered to a lot of the, the people who were in the jail and won a number of them to Christ. When they would get out of jail, he would continue to, uh, to minister to them and have, have contact with them. And one night he got a phone call from someone that he had won to the Lord in the jail. And he called him up in the middle of the night, Brother Carl, I'm suffering for the Lord. Well, where are you? What's happening? I'm in jail. Well, come to find out, he'd received stolen property. <laughs> he wasn't suffering for the Lord, right? That's what he's saying here. We're not, we're not to, 
to suffer as a murderer or a thief or any of these other things. There's no glory in that. That's not suffering for the Lord. But when we do suffer for Jesus Christ, then there's blessing there. Why does God allow this? Why does God allow suffering into our lives? Notice with me verse 17. He says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Understand it is for purification. We talked about it earlier the beginning, that when we suffer affliction, we cease from sin. We get serious about our walk. All of those other things become far less important, and we begin to to get serious about our walk with the Lord. We take it seriously. It purifies the church. When persecution comes, those who aren't really saved, the unbelievers who are kind of blended in, they go away. They disappear. They don't want any part of that. If they're not really the Lord's, if they're not really saved and they're just kind of here, uh, when persecution comes, it purifies the church. And notice what he says there in verse 18, if God deals with his own people, if he's going to allow his own people to be afflicted, how much more the unbeliever? Notice what it says there in verse 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's a terrifying thought. If you don't know the Lord, I just want to beg you to cry out to Him. I want to ask you to to surrender your life. If God is going to deal with His own people and He's going to deal severely with His own people, how much more the sinner? How much more the person who has completely, completely pushed Him aside and completely ignored His commandments and and the things that He requires of us? So as we move to a close this evening, that's who I want to appeal to first of all. Any unbelievers, if you're, if you're listening, if you're tuning in and you don't know the Lord, just understand that there is a judgment that is coming, that God is going to deal severely with this world. This world is going to be judged. And anyone who is outside of that protective umbrella, if, if you can see it that way, of Jesus Christ, anyone outside that shelter is going to be subject to the living God. You'll pay for your sins. And that's just a terrifying thing. But for those of you who are believers, and you're going through difficult things, and you're suffering for the Lord, whatever that might look like in your life, notice how he ends this in verse 19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. I want to close with this thought. God is faithful. God is faithful, and regardless of what you are going through this evening, you can commit your soul to Him. He's a faithful Creator. He loves you. He loves you with a fervent love, far greater than than the love that we would have even for each other or for our children. God loves us with an everlasting love that is truly amazing. We don't need to be afraid of Him. 
We can commit our souls to him, and I just want to encourage you to do that. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we'll close our time together. Father, we come before you, and and I'm so glad that you are a faithful creator, a faithful father. Lord, that you love us, and Lord, that you're desiring that we would respond to you in the right way. Lord, I want to pray, first of all, just that you would help us to be loosed from our past. Those things that hold us down, those things that continue, Lord, to torment us. Things that happened maybe in our childhood or years ago. Lord, would you give us victory over those things? Would you give us deliverance from those things? And just praying that those things would no longer hold us back. Those sins that we once walked in, Lord, that we would no longer walk in them. We've spent enough time. We've spent enough time chasing those things. Lord, help us, Lord, now to live for the will of God. And Lord, in our present, Lord, help us to serve. First of all, Lord, pour your love into our hearts. Help us, Lord, to pour that out over those around us. Help us, Lord, to cover that multitude of sins. Help us, Lord, to be hospitable and without grumbling to those around us. And help us to serve you. Lord, you're calling us to to be good stewards of the gift that you've given us. Help us to do that. And Lord, if we suffer for you, if we suffer as a believer, Lord, cause us to rejoice. Help us, Lord, to see that through the right lens, not just to be angry, not to retaliate. But, Lord, to rejoice and understand that you tell us that we're actually blessed. And then, Lord, lastly, just help us to commit our lives into your care. Help us to draw near to you and to walk in the same fellowship and closeness, Lord, that you had with the Lord Jesus. Help us to abide in you and you in us. And last, Lord, just help us to apply it. It's easy to hear it. It's easy to be a hearer of the word. Difficult to be a doer. But, Lord, enable us and empower us to walk it out. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. We'll close in a final song.